What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Ethos Sixers podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sherman, and we have a lot to get to on the show today. So let's jump right into where we left off, which was at the Sixers, uh, home against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I was personally at this game, and I'm not going to take too long at it because I don't want to relive it. Um, Embiid comes back. Uh, Everyone's really excited. Game starts out uh, a little rough. Sixers get back into it. Um, Ultimately, comes down to the wire and goes to overtime in overtime. Um, Andre Drummond tips in a missed free throw to send it to double overtime. And we're just going to end it right there. Um, Sixers ultimately lose. Joel Embiid, however, a major bright spot, 42 points and 14 rebounds, um, 16 free throws in that game, playing 45 minutes in his first game back from COVID. And that's absolutely unbelievable. Um, Joel, since coming back from COVID, has been ridiculous, and that game was the start of it. Um, Joel had an interview saying that he felt like he wasn't going to make it out of COVID. Uh, His case was really severe. So the fact that his first game back, he played 45 minutes is absolutely unbelievable. Um, From Minnesota, got to give credit to D'Angelo Russell, 35 points. um, Hit some ridiculous shots in overtime. Um, and double overtime to ultimately give them the win. Carl Anthony Towns fouled out, but 28 points. He looked sharp early. Um, Joel looked a little slow early in this game, getting beat off the dribble a lot by Cat and missing some shots. But uh, I think 42 points shows that he was able to bounce back well. So overall, this game was really rough. Um, I will actually relive the last possession, which the Sixers were down um, by a point. Um, chance to win it and give the ball to Joel in the corner. Uh, he just kind of dribbles around for a few seconds and gets blocked and loses the game on a double-team contested fadeaway three in the corner. So, obviously not the shot you want. Um, I don't think it was drawn up well at all. They had a timeout to get a play set, and that's what they came up with. Uh, it looked like Seth Curry was actually open on the perimeter for a three, but you know that's really um, probably Doc drew up the play telling Joel to shoot the ball. You got to know when to give it up, and you got to have a second option in that play where if they're guarding your best player, you have someone else open. So that was really frustrating. Um, ultimately couldn't pull out that win, but promising to see Joel back. Um, next game was also at home against Orlando Magic, and this should have really been an easy win. The Magic do not have a very talented roster, not been a great team this year. Sixers did pull it out. However, it was not pretty at all. Ended up coming down to the last couple of possessions. Seth Curry was a big uh, contributor, 24 points, 10 for 13 shooting. Uh, Seth was on this game. You know those games where Seth just can't miss. This was one of them. Joel Embiid contributing 16, 13, and 5. Rough shooting night, just 4 for 16, playing 29 minutes. But the real surprise of this game to me was Franz Wagner for Orlando. Finished with 27, 6, and 5. And I feel like that's something that happens against the Sixers a lot is, um, I wouldn't say a random player, but there's always a certain player on the other team who maybe doesn't have uh, the best uh, reputation, best resume. They're just a a solid role player, and they really have a monster game against the Sixers, and that's what happened here, Uh, which I think the Sixers really have to limit when they see a guy getting hot, get Matisse on them, get maybe uh, Danny Green or Tobias, some of the better defenders on the team. Uh, Tobias sometimes can be a shaky defender, but... Uh, at times when he really locks in, uh, he's solid. So get a guy like that on him instead of putting Seth on them and, you know, really uh, focus on that because those guys aren't superstars. They shouldn't be doing this. And Franz Wagner ultimately almost won the Magic that game. That really shouldn't have been a contest. Should have been an opportunity for Embiid to get some rest. But, you know, can't do too much complaining when you get the win. 
Next game can do a little more complaining. Uh, in Boston, this is a huge game. Um, ultimately, the Sixers dropped this by a point. This was just a hard game to watch. Final score, 87-88. Uh, low scoring. You would think the defense was really good, and it was. But it was more just bad offense, honestly, from both sides. Joel Embiid finishing with 13 points, 18 boards, uh, 6 assists. Shooting just 3 for 17 from the field, which was ugly. However, he did contribute 2 steals and 3 blocks. Played 33 minutes. Uh, big workload, again, from a guy coming back from COVID. Uh, Jason Tatum with 26 points and 16 boards. Um, so, big night on the boards for Tatum. But, again, just an ugly game. Um, not really great basketball from either side. And... It felt like Doc got a little outcoached towards the end of this game. Um, the final possession, once again, an opportunity to draw up a play. And guess what it ends in? A contested blocked three from the corner, this time from George Niang. Uh, really, really frustrating considering how the Timberwolves game unfolded in double overtime. So I think the Sixers might have to, uh, next uh, few practices, draw up some plays for that final shot. We see it come up time and time again. We'll see it come up actually a few more times. Um, on this list of the last couple games, which is ridiculous. So you'd think with all these really close games, the Sixers get themselves in with their inability to keep leads down the stretch or even their ability to come back from leads, um, that they would have some more plays drawn up, have some more things that they can do besides fadeaways getting blocked. So next game we're going to move on to is in Atlanta. And this one definitely numbed the pain of that Celtics loss. Sixers win it by two, 98 to 96. Um, you know, after last year, again, don't really want to discuss it, but after that brutal end to that series, it's always nice to get a win versus Atlanta. Embiid, 28 and 12, 10 for 23 and 36 minutes. Again, so many, like just a huge workload. I can't believe the minutes that this guy's playing night in and night out with no rest days. Uh, missing three weeks and coming back and doing all this, um, putting his name right back in the MVP conversation for sure. Also eventually had the game winner in this game, although it was with around like 45 seconds left. Um, it still qualifies as a game winner because it was the last make in this game to put the game away. Trey Young, 25 points, um, 10 assists, 8 for 22 shooting. So the real story of this one was um, down the stretch, neither team could get a bucket. And, you know, we see it with the Sixers a lot not being able to score, going on long scoring droughts, especially towards the end of games. Um, fortunately, their defense was good enough to also hold the Hawks there. But, um, again, you can't rely on that too much. You can't rely on the other team just not scoring for, for a minute at the end of a game with scores like Trey Young. So I think, again, the Sixers really got to just create some late-game offense, have some things to do in that half court. You know, the big excuse was always, oh, Ben can't play in the half court. He can't set up the offense. He can't take the shot. Um, now he's not there, so the you know we're reaping the, the consequences of not having Ben with, with the defense, but that should be a benefit that not really taking advantage of. So that's got to be something the Sixers brush up on. Um, the next game um, in Charlotte, uh, Charlotte is without LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier. Again, going and Mason Plumley, sorry. So that's three of their five starters out. Um, should be a relatively easy win, you would think, and it goes into overtime. So not an easy win whatsoever. Um, Kelly Oubre scoring 35 points is ridiculous. P.J. Washington with a big game. Um, James Booknight, the rookie, and J.T. Thor in his first career game. Just taking it to the Sixers, and the Sixers are fully healthy in this one, aside from Tyrese Maxey, who was out with um, a non-COVID-related illness. So, 
That's just something you can't let happen. Joel Embiid should not have had to play 40 minutes in this game. This should have been a day where Joel gets to rest after the first half of the third quarter, but instead he has to put in 43 points, 15 rebounds, and 7 assists, shooting 15 for 20, straight up backpacking the team. And that's just something that should really not have to happen. Took over down the stretch, looked so dominant in this one. Uh, The only bright spot, really, of this whole game, aside from the win, was watching Joel look like the MVP once again. Some huge dunks, some some huge plays, um, and it was really just a joy to watch him and the passion that he plays with every single night. Um, You can see after games when they get the win, he does the little fist pumps. He just gets so amped up. Uh, He's really holding this team together, and since he came back from COVID, had some brutal losses, as mentioned, with the Timberwolves and the Celtics. But the team really looks like they're starting to get back on track, and it's mostly thanks to Joel Embiid. And this is seen again with the second win against the Hornets, um, just two nights later, again in Charlotte. Uh, same people out for Charlotte. Uh, different person stepped up for them this time, which was Gordon Hayward, scoring 31 points, 5 rebounds, 7 assists, 10 for 18 shooting. Oubre still with another good game of 22 points. And Joel Embiid, once again, putting the team on his back, scoring 32 points, grabbing 8 boards shooting 8 for 17, and just getting to the line every single possession down the stretch. They were fouling him off the ball, on the ball, it did not matter. Hit a huge three, um, had a huge dunk uh, drive on P.J. Washington, defended the paint extremely well. Joel Embiid is back Philadelphia. Uh, it is just awesome to see MVP back in action, and I really believe he's going to keep this up for... Um, Hopefully the majority of the season, um, you know, as a Sixers fan, you can really only pray, knock on wood, that Joel Embiid uh, doesn't suffer any more significant injury. Um, Hadn't really had the significant injury, um, COVID very different, but hoping now that that's out of the way, doesn't come back again this season for Joel, and uh, that's the worst that happens, and he can keep this up, because Joel Embiid is the key to this team regardless of you know Damian Lillard uh, rumors we'll get to later um, anyone else coming Ben Simmons all that does not matter when you have Joel Embiid he is the team if Joel Embiid is playing great basketball this team is our contenders surrounded by solid pieces not even the greatest pieces Tobias has to step up a little bit actually a lot excuse me as a second option but just surround Embiid with the guys that we have um, everyone steps up a little bit and Joel plays like he does. And I really do think this team is a contending team roster wise. Uh, I don't know how well it's shown recently, but you know, have a guy putting up 35 points a night recently, um, get into the line, every possession, fouling out teams, players left and right. And that's going to be a pretty good team. And one player in particular, I think that would contribute to, um, Joel playing even I wouldn't say better, but the team as a whole playing even better is Tyrese Maxey. Um, the one bad part of Joel returning has been uh, Maxey's looked a little out of place. He's fallen off a little bit. Maybe he's hitting that little uh, the sophomore wall, sophomore slump as they call it. Um, not playing terribly, but you can see the shooting splits are a little off. You can see his aggressiveness is down a little bit. Um, just looking at the recent games versus Minnesota, he did have a solid game. 15 points. However, he had a big turnover down the stretch, which cost him the game, uh, led to Tarion Prince stealing and a dunk to tie up the game. Um, versus Orlando, uh, pretty solid game, actually. 9-8-9, and nine, near triple-double, but only 2-for-12 shooting. First Boston, a putrid game, 6.6 uh, 6 boards, 3-for-13 shooting. 
um, versus Atlanta, 11 points. Then, as mentioned, he was out versus Charlotte and just six points in the second Charlotte game. So, again, Maxi, you know, he's not playing horribly, and I think that he's being held to a higher standard because of how he started this season. But if he can stay at the spot, uh, the clip he was playing at, that'd be really, really helpful for this team who's uh, obviously missing Ben Simmons and has so much drama, um, which, again, we'll get to later. Um, the other met person I mentioned that really, really needs to get on his game in order for this team to be legit is Tobias Harris. Um, Tobias Harris, I wouldn't say he's having a terrible season, but for being a max contract player, it's pretty terrible. Um, putting up, you know, in the last couple of games, he's really looked a little better versus Charlotte, uh, scoring 21, 11, and 4, and then 18 and 6. But again, I think Tobias should really be a 20 plus, 22 or 23 even points a game guy. And that sounds like a lot, but with Ben out and the lack of guys on this team who stay consistent, uh, Tobias Harris could really be a huge player this year. I thought he was going to have his first all-star appearance. Um, did not look like that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, Tobias, uh, numbers are even down from last year. Um, only averaging 19.3. I say only. Um, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. But you really would like Tobias to at least be over that 20-point game range with the guys we have. Seth Curry really, uh, I don't want to say streaky, but he has his games where he definitely can struggle, and he has those games where he's really hot. He does have a lot of those in-between games. His mid-range has looked amazing this year. Three-point numbers are a tiny bit down for Seth in terms of uh, how often he's shooting. But you can't really complain with what Seth's done this year. Overall, pretty solid. Um, so that leads me to the next discussion of the Sixers' current rotation. Um, obviously, Maxi, Seth, um, Tobias, and B, those four guys, not much question there. Um, Danny Green, uh, as I mentioned last episode, I think there still can be some question over whether he should be starting or not, but Matisse really hasn't shown that much to prove he should be starting. His offense really is a huge liability. Danny can get it done on both ends relatively well. His shooting has been a little streaky at times, but he can knock down the open three ball if you need him, which is really always there for. Um, I don't think there's a huge problem at all with Danny Green. He's definitely gotten better since the start of the season. So I think that that starting lineup can continue to work. Um, one spot that I do think is important to talk about is where Isaiah Joe can potentially fit in. This guy barely plays. When he plays, he's just there knocking down threes, making solid defensive plays. Um, obviously, he looks a little lost sometimes on defense, um, and he can look a little lost in the offense too. But, you know, that's just what comes with a guy who barely plays and was a rookie last year with almost no minutes. Um he did get in the game versus Charlotte um, for the first game uh, in Charlotte. Uh, in just 12 minutes, he had nine points, which consisted of three threes. So, you know, talk about a shooter. Like, he's just a pure shooter. Um, obviously, the Sixers have a decent amount of shooters at this point, um, something they've done well in their rebuilding process throughout the last couple of years. But you got to think Isaiah Joe can deserve some sort of spot, especially in games where Furkan Korkmaz is significantly struggling, which can be seen a lot. Um Furkan's had a major drop-off from the start of this year. Again, not playing horribly, but you can definitely notice a, a decrease in his production. Um, so I think Isaiah Joe potentially has earned himself some minutes in this rotation. I would like to see him uh, factored in a little bit more. And I also think that it's worth uh, uh, at least considering uh, Furkan or a sh even a shake maybe uh, package into a deal with Ben that could maybe land us a some sort of uh, better player, an extra pick or something, because I think there's a lot of guys that can play and almost too many on the roster than needed. 
And honestly, even if Isaiah Joe isn't playing those uh, minutes, there's still a lot of guys that fill that role, as I've mentioned time and time again on this podcast. So I really think that one of those guys could be moved without a problem. Um, So that leads to the next discussion, actually, of trades. Um, What did the Sixers do with the deadline? Is Ben Simmons going to get moved? Um, A lot of news coming out this week, uh, specifically out of Portland. The first piece of news, they fire their general manager. And a lot of reports have been saying that Damian Lillard wants a a two-year contract to be the uh, highest-paid player in the league. And any single candidate for the Blazers, who they're considering right now, does not want to give him that money and would prefer to trade him. So if you're a Sixers fan, that sounds like the break you've been waiting for. There is layers to it. Dame has said uh, it's not really true. Um, If it is true, New York is a potential landing spot, although I don't know what pieces they have to give up for him. But honestly, a step in the right direction in the Dame chase. And the way that team is looking right now um, would not be too surprised if Dame is gone by the deadline. And it would be just beautiful if Ben Simmons and a few pieces could be moved for him. With that being said, I think it's important to consider what pieces the Sixers would and wouldn't move for him, what that trade would look like. Um, I personally think no more than Ben, uh, a shaker, a Furcon, and some picks. Maybe Matisse Thybul, if we're getting back a 3 and D guy like a Robert Covington, obviously much older and not as good as Matisse on the defensive end, but a solid guy to replace his minutes. And, you know, Portland's not a contender. They don't need a guy like Covington right now. So that's a very plausible trade. Another option, um, I don't really know how much this can benefit the Sixers, but the Pacers are now apparently looking to rebuild, sell their roster. Guys like Karis LeVert, Miles Turner, and DeMontis Sabonis. So out of all those guys, I think Karis LeVert is the best fit in Philly. I don't think a potential Ben Simmons trade really works there unless some sort of three-team trade is incorporated. But Karis LeVert for, you know, again, mentioning a guy like Shake Milton and some draft picks is not too far out of the question for a team that's rebuilding. Shake, obviously a younger player than LeVert, and the draft picks are really what would sweeten the deal there for Indiana. Um, I think they might be able to get some sort of better offer, but and I don't know how much they'd want to trade him to an Eastern Conference rival. But uh, with that being said, if they are selling, I would love the Sixers to make some kind of push for Levert because when he's healthy, that dude can put the ball in the basket, something the Sixers can always use. Um, So who's really untouchable for the Sixers um, in any of these sort of trades? Um, Tobias was, I would say, going into the season was definitely a lot more untouchable than he is right now. Um, For the right uh, package with Ben, I could see Tobias being moved. However, I doubt it. I think Doc really likes him. Uh, Really good veteran leadership. Uh, Solid late in games. They think uh, he's better than he is down the stretch, in my personal opinion. But I don't really see Tobias going anywhere unless a significant trade is to be pulled off. And then it's between Maxi and Matisse Dybul. Both of their names thrown around in a lot of trade rumors, uh, especially in the Damian Lillard area. And I definitely think that Matisse is more likely to be traded. Um, then Tyrese Maxey, just because Maxey's a second-year player, so much upside, and obviously Matisse has crazy upside too, but, um, you know, a lot of wings, as mentioned, can uh, allow the Sixers to move Thibel. His offense is a liability, and um, I could also technically see Maxey moved, especially if um, if it's for a point guard like Dame, but I think Maxey uh, could be a stronger part of the Sixers' future. But in all reality, I really don't want to see either of these guys moved. I think that packaging Maxi or Matisse in a deal with Simmons for Dame definitely makes some sense, but I would like to see another person returned if that is the case. 
Dame, obviously an incredible player that gives us a chance to win now. But getting rid of either of those guys um, is a huge hit to our future. And I think some win now players in return would make a lot of sense there. Um, no new news really on Ben Simmons. Doesn't appear he's returning to the team anytime soon. I guess those going broke uh, rumors were just, as I said, rumors. But um, looking forward to the next couple of games. Uh, Sixers return home. A lot of tough games coming up against Western Conference opponents. Uh Thursday night uh, against the Jazz, um, Saturday night against Golden State, and then they travel to Memphis um, without John Morant still. So uh, Memphis has actually been rolling without John Morant, uh, won a lot of games in a row before that loss to Dallas. So that will be a tough test. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. playing great there. But again, um, Sixers fully healthy. I think they can take care of business. And then they got the Miami Heat at home. Um, without Bam Adebayo. I'm guessing Jimmy Butler will be back for that game. So it'll be really interesting to see how Sixers fans will treat Jimmy uh, with Miami once again. So um, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, As always, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm Adam Sherman, and just keep trusting that process, baby. 